0: Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and today we're bringing you one of our favorite episodes of Stress Test, another podcast from The Globe and Mail.
1: So your boss wants you to go back into the office, but after two years of remote work, you're not sure you want to go.
2: Maybe you've moved farther away and don't want to commute, or maybe you've got a taste of flexibility and you aren't willing to give it up, even if it means finding a new job.
1: Today we're talking about the cost of going back into the office. Whether you measure cost in time or money, going back to work can be pricey. And a lot of young people are making big moves to avoid the cost and keep their work from home lifestyle.
2: Welcome to season five of Stress Test, a personal finance podcast for millennials and Gen Z. am
1: Rob Carrick, personal finance columnist at the Globe and Mail.
2: And I'm Roma Lutsu, personal finance editor.
1: So Roma, when was the last time you went into the office?
2: I went into the office uh, about a year ago to clean out my desk, and that was it. I haven't been in since, and my working day consists of getting up, getting dressed, brushing my teeth, walking downstairs, making a wonderful coffee on my new amazing coffee maker, shepherding the kids to school, and then turning on my computer and starting to work, so I'm really enjoying working from home. There are some things I miss. What about you? Do you miss going into the office, Rob?
1: I'm going to miss the office a little bit. I was talking to the people there, you know, sharing story ideas and information. And I also missed the gym that was near the office. I was able to work out there on my lunch break. Um, but beyond that, I do not miss the commuting. I hated commuting. Uh, I think I'm in, a, in the majority there. And I totally understand why a lot of people are deciding that this is super important to them and they want to change work to, to accommodate that.
2: Mm-hmm. I think for most people, it comes down to time and money. We have had a work culture that it seems a lot of people were dissatisfied with, and we haven't had a shakeup of this working setup that we have in many generations. And COVID presented that opportunity. The one thing we should note is working from home is not for everyone. There's about 40% of Canadians, according to StatsCan data, that are able to work from home. But many people cannot. Doctors, nurses, cashiers, drivers, factory workers. So when we're talking about working from home, we are speaking to this very specific group of people that are able to do so.
1: You know, I want people to listen to this podcast and be motivated to go out there and fight for your work-life balance. It's a great opportunity right now. Employers are listening to employees like they haven't in ages. You have leverage. Take advantage. Take advantage. When we did a caller for this episode, we heard from so many young people who made big moves during the pandemic because they decided flexibility was critical. There was no way they were going back to the old way of doing things.
2: After the break, we hear from a 20-something who's looking for a new job. That's because his employer is asking workers to be in the office two to three days a week. Meet our first guest, who isn't flexible about his desire for flexibility.
3: My name is Mo. I live in the Halton region of Ontario, and I'm 26. I work as a program manager in the telecom industry.
2: Before the pandemic, Mo's job was flexible. He only went into the office when his manager was in town. But he's since switched to a different business unit, one that's asking people to come back to work at least two to three days a week. He doesn't want to go.
3: So there's two main reasons I don't want to go back to work. They're both related to cost, but the two reasons are time and money. And to me, to be very honest with you at this stage, it's more time than anything. I live further away from my office now than I did before the pandemic. And in terms of time, it would take me an hour and a half to go there and an hour and a half to come back during rush hour. And those three hours, I just really enjoyed having them. So I'm not really ready to give those up by just sitting in a car alone just for the sake of being in the office.
2: Mo really made the most of that extra time.
3: Oh my gosh. So three hours a day, especially in summer, was a huge plus to me. I love going out for walks. I love going out for bike rides. I love gardening. I started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I started joining a Toastmasters chapter. Um, I started reading a lot more. I started writing a lot more. There's just so much that I can do with three hours a day. And I, I can't imagine giving that up. Like, it would cost my soul. That's how I view it, really.
2: Like Mo said, time is a huge reason, but so is money. And going back to the office will cost him a lot more.
3: Mm-hmm. So in terms of gas, it's costing me around $85 just to fill my tank. And I drive a small car. So that tells just tells you how much gas has gone up in the past few months. Um, so I'd probably need to fill up at least twice a week if I were to go three times a week to the office. So that's around $250 just for gas. Uh, There's also the cost of preparing food from home so that I can take into the office. And there's the cost of clothes that I need to buy to go into the office. I haven't been in the office in like three or two, two to three years. So there's definitely going to be an initial investment there and an ongoing investment to maintain appearances. That's for sure. So those costs add up and I'm not really ready to go back to spending that much time and money on um, on a job where I'd be able to do the same thing sitting at home, really. So I feel like the onus is on the managers and the executive team to propose the benefits of coming to work for us and make it a more welcoming environment.
2: Mo isn't willing to bend on working from home. So what's he going to do about it?
3: So what I'm doing right now is searching for other opportunities that are either remote only or that I know are very flexible when it comes to where you're working from, as long as you're getting the work done. And my plan after I get the offer, fingers crossed, is I'd go back and I'd negotiate. Um, if the offer is something that I'm that I'm not completely happy with, but if it is something that I'm completely happy with, I fully justified quitting just for the sake of not going back to the office.
2: And he's willing to sacrifice
3: cash. Yes, I would absolutely take a job for less money if it did not involve having to go into the office.
2: So far, his job search is going well. He's got a few interviews lined up and he's waiting to hear if he'll get an offer.
3: So I'd say it's good. There's no shortage of people that are looking for a talent. And I've been reading a lot about the great resignation. And I know there's a lot of people that are quitting their jobs these days, which just leaves a bigger gap for those looking for new opportunities. And uh, there's a lot of people that are quitting to start other jobs, but there's also some people that are quitting to do their own thing. So I, I actually just started learning how to cut hair during the pandemic because, first of all, I have more time on my hands. And second, it's a way to build the pipeline towards, you know, not necessarily have to depend on one stream of income. That's one thing I learned during this whole thing, for sure.
2: Mo knows he's not the only one who won't budge on flexibility.
3: I know that this, the, the story I'm sharing now about looking for other opportunities because of being asked to go into the office isn't one that I only have. It's one that a lot of my colleagues have as well. And it's one that they're already having conversations with their executives about. So I think one of two things is going to happen: either the organizations that are asking for these go back into the office are going to adapt to the modern way of doing things and to a different approach to flexibility in the workplace, or they're just going to lose a lot of good talent to other organizations that are starting to adopt these these tactics. I guess.
2: Mo is a great example of a young adult who isn't willing to sacrifice flexibility. After the break, we'll hear from a manager in her early 40s on why she made the decision to close her office
4: for good. My name is Kat and I live in Oakville, Ontario. I'm 42 years old. I have two young kids. Uh, My son is 12 and my daughter is 8. I'm a single mom.
1: Kat is the Managing Director of the Canadian Office of a Consulting Company based in California. In the before times, there was zero flexibility in terms of where you worked.
4: When you're in a consulting world and everything is virtual, we can get away with working from home, but our office policy was always everybody must come in, right? We felt that people work better, especially when you're starting out a new company. It's easier to access staff and have meetings and discussions and turn around things quickly if everybody's in the same room. I think there was a bit of tension there. I think some people wanted that flexibility, but our policy was there is no work from home unless it's needed or somebody's sick or you have a
1: sick child or something. That policy didn't make things easy for employees or for Cat. Oh
4: my gosh. I think I would always run in there like frantic. I'd sit in my office just to collect myself a few minutes because... You got to understand myself and a lot of my colleagues, you know, we either have young kids or other responsibilities. So by the time you are done, wake up in the morning, get the kids up and running and out the door to school, then you're getting yourself prepared for your meetings and dress and running to work. Um, so by the time you get to work, you're already exhausted.
1: Exhausted and spending a lot of cash.
4: Yeah, there are so many different costs associated with it. You know, the, obviously the immediate, immediate ones are like... Gas, right? Just the commute. I mean, I think the most expensive thing is my time. Um so my time, the commute from here to Mississauga or Toronto, wherever an hour there, an hour back, and then of course, you have the car expenses. you have you know the mileage, the gas, you know the lunches, the clothes, right? as in when you're working in a professional environment, always having to look nice. And so the, the cost of clothing was getting expensive. The daycare cost for my kids. So after school program, uh, which was very pricey, I think it was about $900 for two kids for two hours, all of that. And then the mental strain, right? The cost of my <laughs> sanity of just rushing to work and then rushing back and picking up the kids. So it was a lot.
1: But the lockdown in March, 2020 forced the company to change its mindset. Suddenly, it had to find new ways to help employees function outside the office. The first six months, we were forced
4: to go into lockdown, right? After that, we realized everybody's working so well, everybody's so productive, that we didn't really need to have an office environment. So we kept, you know, stretching it out, stretching it out. And then I realized, you know what? This is working for my team, and my team is happier this way. So I actually shut down the office permanently.
1: It was a major switch for Katner team, which doubled to 20 people during the pandemic she consulted them before deciding to close the doors for good
4: absolutely numerous conversations i was actually very worried about my about their mental health um i've got a lot of young moms who are stuck at home you know and that could be in itself could be exhausting i also have a lot of individuals who are here living in this city alone. So no family, they're new to the country, new to the uh, culture. So for me, it was like making sure that they're okay. So I had numerous conversations with them about, do you want to go back to the office? Do you need that social environment? Do you need that support? And I think um, I would say 90% of them said they prefer working from home. I think there was one person who wanted to get away from his kids.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not that there aren't downsides to closing the office.
4: I miss the social aspect of it. I miss seeing adults <laughs> on a regular. I think that's, and honestly, um, we've tried to work around that as well. So now that the pandemic has been lifted, we kind of um, tried to make an attempt to meet as a team at least once a month, if not twice a month for a social gathering, whether it's dinners, going bowling, whatever that may be. So that's kind of helped with that.
1: Cats paying for these social events using the money saved from closing the office, a large overhead cost. She says productivity has gone up because people don't have to commute 2 hours a day. Some nights she has to tell her team to stop working at 9 p.m. She thinks employers who aren't becoming more flexible are missing the boat.
4: The times are changing. Everybody can be remote. There is technology out there. You know, there's always going to be a few people that might take advantage of the situation and if they think they're not being productive then those need to be dealt with, but I think as a company in whole, it would benefit them to kind of start looking at it through a different lens, right? Your employees are health happier, better work life balance. If and you access a, a pool of talent that you normally wouldn't, I'm hiring people all across Canada, whereas before I had to hire within the GTA.
1: She doesn't expect the desire for flexibility to go away
4: huge. I think flexibility is going to be huge when it comes to retaining employees. Most people wouldn't take a job if they weren't given that flexibility. So again, you will lose people eventually. Um, They would want to have kids or, you know, be with their family or deal with responsibilities or they just don't want to commute. So those are the people that are going to eventually start looking for other jobs if companies force them to go back. I think people will choose flexibility over money in most situations. I personally would. I think it would have to be a significant amount of money for me to give up that kind of flexibility. And so, and I think that goes the same with my team. Flexibility
2: clearly emerged as a major priority for workers during the pandemic. How this will affect the future of work is top of mind these days. I spoke with The Globe and Mail's Future of Work reporter, Vanmela Subramaniam, about what's changing in the workplace and what to expect going forward. So let's dive in. How has the pandemic changed Canadian expectations about where and how we work?
0: It's a big question, but I think the most significant change has come from a lot of people not becoming very comfortable with the concept of remote working and you know, not necessarily wanting to go back into the office, even when conditions are safe to do so. I think that's the biggest change that we've seen in the pandemic in terms of the way office work is done.
2: We know that young workers, white collar workers, place very high value on work-life balance. What are some of the other things that young Canadians value when it comes to workplace and careers?
0: I think one of the interesting things about the pandemic and work is that there isn't much of a difference between how younger people have started viewing their jobs and how older people are viewing their jobs. So yes, work-life balance, definitely a thing that millennials and, you know, younger Canadians are prioritizing, but there are exceptions to it based on, you know, class and race and, you know, other kinds of things like that. For example, I was speaking to a an, an HR professional at Sun Life, big white collar employer in Toronto. And when, when they, when Sun Life did an internal survey, they found that the people who were m- most likely to want to go back into the office were people in their twenties who lived in condos. And that's, I mean, the obvious reason being that it's a small space. If you live in a one bedroom condo, which is quite common for a lot of young people working in cities like Toronto, Vancouver, you might share that space with a roommate or a partner and working from home can be quite challenging. Okay, let's let's dig into that because one of the biggest
2: developments in the pandemic has been younger Canadians moving to small towns and rural areas. These people are making major lifestyle, real estate, financial decisions based on the ability to continue working remotely, so they more than anyone need a boss or a company that will let them come in two to three times a month. How likely are they to find that?
0: Very, very likely. Um, it's a good question because I definitely thought that once Omicron uh, died down and there was there was this kind of push, this reopening and push towards going back into the office. I expected to see. A lot of employers telling their workers, hey, it's time to come back to the office. You know, remote work is done. But I, in fact, didn't see that. There are very key examples. Um, Some of the biggest banks in Canada, HSBC, they have said that permanent hybrid work is acceptable for them. And in fact, the HSBC example is interesting because They've redesigned the office spaces in Toronto and Vancouver to not facilitate full-time return to the office. So even if every single worker wanted to come back, there wouldn't be be enough desks for them to sit at.
2: In your reporting, are you hearing about companies offering workers incentives to encourage them to come
0: back into the workplace? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, I think actually, Roma, it's the opposite. I think employers who are looking for talent are offering employees the ability to be more flexible in the way they work in order to incentivize them into into joining that company. The job vacancy rate in Canada is at one of the highest it's been in a while. And, And that basically means that employees have a lot of opportunity to move jobs, right? Because of more jobs versus fewer demand for jobs. So what that tells you is that kind of the pendulum is in favor of employees right now and they're able to demand how they want to work. So I, I'm what I'm noticing is that there are people who are quitting jobs because these jobs are, you know, asking them to come back into the office maybe even two to three times a week They're not quitting because they've been asked to come back five times a week. That is almost unheard of. But I think there are a good proportion of people who just want to be remote full time and come in when it's warranted. So when they have to meet someone face to face, when they have a meeting, when there's a reason, because I guess the justification is, look, I've been doing my work as productively in, if not more productively in the last two years why do I have to go through this commute, spend money, disrupt my workflow in order to just go into a desk and do the same thing in a different location?
2: This brings me to another thing that I've spent some time thinking about. If you're uh, someone who prioritizes working from home, and you're trying to negotiate that with your employer, what are some good ways to do that in terms of positioning this as a win-win for both of you, which it can be?
0: I think the biggest way to do it is to emphasize your own ability to do your job well via uh, not being in the office. So it boils down to that for employers. I don't think they're too fussed that employees are not in one place all at the same time, as long as they're doing what they're supposed to do. Um, So I think that's the main thing, to be able to convince your employer that you can be as productive. Um, the the other thing to remember about this whole situation is that even getting one or two people back into the office right now doesn't make a whole lot of difference when most people are not in the office. Right from the employee point of view, it's almost like, well, why am I coming back when I don't get the same thing, things that I used to, which is banter with my friends, you know, being able to look over and see who my bosses are talking to, just pick up on cues that uh, going for coffee, just those things are still not happening because you don't have a mass number of people in the office, right? Right.
2: And it's funny when you mentioned going for coffee and talking with coworkers, it certainly was one of the main reasons that I really enjoyed going into the newsroom was to speak with my coworkers and have those conversations and have that connection. You're learning, you're making connections, you're building all of these relationships. Um, you need to be on your boss's radar for things like promotions, for moving into other opportunities and you know, potentially for bonuses. Does working from home hurt your chances?
0: That's very interesting, Roma, because there, are, this is a bit of a hot debate that's going on in the world of future of work. So on the one hand, you have people who are kind of staunch, we have to work from the office, uh, advocates saying that younger employees will lose their chance to network, develop mentors, gain experience by kind of observing their colleagues close up. Uh, and being able to obviously, as you say, network with uh, their bosses. But I think there's this other school of thought that says, if no one else is doing it, you're not really losing out. One of the things that has
2: come up is that when it comes to younger workers, flexibility is very important. And they have, in some of the surveys I've seen, rated it higher than money. Is there a sense that workers are sacrificing higher earnings uh, for a more flexible lifestyle?
0: Yes, I think there's some evidence that they're doing that. From what I'm finding, if you are offered a job where you have to come back into the office, say, three to four times a week, and you're getting a marginal increase in your salary, so say 15% increase, what I'm finding is workers are uh, rejecting that and saying, I don't need a 15% increase if it means that I have to go through the commute and come back into the office. That whole equation changes when you're offered a massive increase in salary. But I would say it's where we, we're in a very interesting point in society, I think, where money is not the only incentive to take on employment. And I've never really seen this. Um, I, I, because all the other factors was were the same, right? Like everyone commuted at work, everyone was in the office. So money was the only variable. But I think in this case, you're finding that people, as you mentioned, who have moved, you know, have made permanent life changes. So they've say moved from Toronto to even Halifax and bought houses there. They're not going to move for money because, it's just not as big a deal anymore. Let's talk a bit about the
2: specific costs um, of returning back to the office in the future months and years. But there are some real ways that going back to the office is harder on the wallet. Uh, Can you run through some of those?
0: Yeah, I mean, there are many surveys on this. One of the ones that I found uh, quite interesting was FlexJobs, a company that kind of advises other companies on more flexible ways of working. They found, for example, that on average, in North American, in North American cities, a commuter will spend between $2,000 and five thousand dollars a year on commuting expenses and travel
3: for really
0: just under 15 kilometers of commute so not even a massive amount of commute. So this is a lot of money for a lot of people. And so I'll I'll give you an example. I mean, I'm a millennial myself and my my friends are my around my age, we're all in our 30s. Most, I would say 80 to 90% of my cohort feels that they will absolutely they're absolutely not willing to spend those few hundred dollars a month anymore to go back into the office, because they are just doing their work the same way. And that extends beyond just the cost of transport. It's the cost of going downstairs. And as you say, grabbing a coffee with someone, or instead of going into your fridge to grab a snack, you're going downstairs or upstairs, and you're buying a muffin or a croissant as your snack. You know, some of my friends say that, they're generally healthier working from home because they're more organized and they get to plan out their meals. Others just say, look, I noticed that when I'm out, as soon as I leave my house, I'm just taking out my credit card more. That's just more incentive to spend. And I don't really want to do that.
2: So one big expense that I think we need to talk about, especially when we're talking about younger workers, so older millennials, people in their 20s, and especially their 30s, are uh, workers with kids. If you're a parent of a young child and uh, you are now being asked to come into the office, that will require some kind of child or daycare. That's huge. That is a game changer because we're talking about a massive increase in the amount of money that you have to spend. How is that going to change the dynamic for people coming into the office?
0: I think it's going to be huge. Childcare, caring for for pets that you have, that's a major consideration for people when they want to come think about coming back into the office, because you can't have a daycare, just take your kid for say one or two days when those days are also just not consistent. So you, you end up in this all or nothing situation where either you just commit to daycare full time, or you commit to, you know, uh, staying at home with your kid and just doing daycare half a day, uh, half a day full time. So, I, I don't think that the childcare considerations are not as flexible as being able to do your job in a flexible way. And so, I think in this situation, employers do know that childcare is winning out, and that's like a major factor, um, especially for women, um, in work, working women. Okay, so when it
2: comes to returning to work, there's still a lot of balls up in the air. Let's fast forward five years. What will
0: the office
2: versus remote work situation look like then?
0: My guess on this, and it's just a guess because I can't predict the future, uh, but from what I know, I think we're going to just move into a permanent hybrid working situation where you would work half the time at home and half the time in the office, but that varies according to company. So one day or five days, you know, it depends. Um, And I think the, the reason why I think this will be the future five years from now is because offices, employers are making permanent changes in their office layout for hybrid work, and these changes are expensive, and I think they, they are probably hesitant to walk them back. So that, that's how I see it going. I see it becoming a place more where you're going in for a purpose and you're there because you have a specific team meeting or you're collaborating on something and there's a necessity for you to go in and meet your colleagues. Hybrid and remote work are clearly
2: more than a pandemic trend. We're seeing major shifts in how office jobs are done. Rob, what do you see ahead of us?
1: Well, I think a lot of people are going to be doing a blended kind of thing. And that's possible for me. I'm not really sure, but I think a lot of people are going to think I need to get some of the advantage of being in the office and talking to my coworkers and being, you know, in the office and being seen by my boss with the flexibility of not commuting and having more time for family and to uh, less stress and aggravation from, from commuting. So I think the, the blended way is the way forward. And, um, I think we all need to see if we can, if it works for us and if it works for our jobs, see if we can make it happen.
2: Here are my takeaways. One employees have never had this much power. If you want the flexibility of working from home, now is the time to ask. Make a case to your employer that you'll be more productive without that daily commute and all of the distractions. Two, if you're going back to the office, get ready to pay more for lunches, gas or transit, parking, clothes, all that stuff you used to spend money on in pre-COVID times. Three, if you have younger kids or a pet, start looking for an affordable way to find care for them if and when you are called back to work, even part-time. Thank you for listening to Stress Test. This show was produced by Kyle Fulton, Emily Jackson, and Zara Kozema. Our executive producer is Kieran Rana. Thank you to Mo, Kat, and Vanmela for joining
1: us this week. You can find Stress Test on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Next up on Stress Test, inflation is hitting all of us hard, but the pain is most agonizing at the gas pump. Millennials are the largest group of car buyers in Canada. Are rising gas prices enough to push them to electric vehicles, or is that still a luxury that most can't afford?
2: Until then, find us at theglobeandmail.com. Thanks for listening.